Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. It is the Pop Culture Cosmos. You know, we cover the pop culture world like no other. If you get a chance, please go ahead and check out what we're doing today at Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, where we cover the latest news and trends right there for you. We post it right there for you constantly. We are searching the world of pop culture and bringing it to you each and every time out of Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook. Go ahead and like, share, and subscribe, follow, or do whatever you can to support us anywhere you get a chance. A big shout out to all of our radio stations worldwide that play our show each and every day of the week at some point in time of the world. We truly appreciate you listening to it. And for all those people listening to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, a big shout out to you as well. Well, it is Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. It is here. It is in theaters. It is debuting to its biggest debut ever for the Ant-Man IP, the Ant-Man franchise of the three movies. It's starting out the biggest so far at $104 million here domestically and over $225 million worldwide. A pretty good haul for a much-beloved IP, as I always say on this show, from Marvel. Marvel absolutely loves what Ant-Man is about, what Ant-Man does. He, he's just such a key to what it's what they are all about, not only in the comics, but obviously what they're doing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So even though the Ant-Mans previously have not always made the most money, Ant-Man has always been such an important part of what they do. And Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, is pretty much going to be that as well as far as what it kicks off for Phase 5 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And what we're going to do today is a spoiler cast where we're going to talk about the ins and outs and our general thoughts on the movie itself and how it sets up Phase 5 going forward and here today to talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. There is no one better to talk Marvel. Good man indeed. you got to go ahead and check out what he's doing today along with the cybernetic shark and his whole entire crew right there for you with the MCU's I can't rhyme anymore so sorry after ah. that. the MCU's bleeding edge you got to go ahead and check it out today wherever you get your podcast plus go ahead and subscribe to them on YouTube with the MCU's bleeding edge it is the man of true knowledge it is Jeff Sabota and Jeff great to have you here my friend. Gerald it's great to be here brother it's good to see you, man. I hope that um, things with the gas situation over there by you are, are, are getting better. Absolutely. Well, it's getting a little bit warmer here in Vegas, so I definitely like that. It truly it gets to be nice. But then again, we have, like, nice weather for all of, like, three to five days, and then it goes straight to 100, so I'm not sure I should be uh, talking too soon. But looks like it's going to be those, those few days right now of nice weather, so we're looking forward to that. But what a better time to have a Marvel movie drop the first major release of the box office year. All apologies to Megan, but it is the first major box office release of the year, kicking off Marvel's Phase 5, the master plan. I feel like Kevin Feige in his office, he wheels around from the halls of Marvel as you just go ahead and no. Dr. Xavier. He just He's wheels around. That He's well, energetic. You can you can see it when he does his presentations and whatnot. He moves a lot. Yeah. No, I'm just I'm just joking with you. I get it. I know. I know. I'm joking too. I just feel though sometimes he's like this. He's as he's you know just holding his head. He's going to go ahead and plan out the rest of the MCU phase five, phase six, and beyond. He's got always some great things in mind for Disney and for Marvel. Such a backbone of the Disney Corporation. And this kicks off what is going to be another major test for the continuity, but also the consistency and the audience for the future of Marvel Cinematic Universe. Will it maintain its momentum? Will it maintain the enthusiasm? Will people continue to go see the Marvel product? That's the question, because as you and I talked about, Phase 4 was all over the place. Can you even gain momentum coming off of such a deficit of a phase That's four? Great. Yes, you did so many different things in phase four. Nothing was coherent, nothing was consistent. Phase five, it all supposed to be is realigning itself, coming back together for an ultimate goal. 
in phase five and phase six of the Kang dynasty and also as well Secret Wars that's coming up. The Oz Avengers movies coming up in the distance. But for now, it is Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania to kick things off for phase five. There's going to be a lot of spoilers. So if you've not seen the movie yet, hey, guess what? We're going to spoil it for you because this is a spoiler cast, as you read in the description. First off, Jeff, we're going to go and start from the beginning. Ant-Man coming off the glory of saving the universe. He talks about saving the world. In reality, he's helped. he helped his actions. And also, you got to forget the rat. Let's not forget the rat that actually saved the universe. But his actions help save the universe and he feels like he's being rewarded for it he, you know he doesn't have to pay for anything he's being called spider-man at the local cafe when he gets his coffee he's he's just just hey spider-man yeah exactly hey spider-man thank you spider-man the, the only funny line in the, in, the, in the movie yes in the movie the movie itself before we get into any actual reviews before we get down to any nitty-gritty i'm going to give a general synopsis of it is say it's different than the other Ant-Man movies. I'm not telling now. I'm going to say at the end whether I liked or didn't like it, if that was good or bad. But be prepared. This is not the cute, little quirky, little funny, little oddballish, little side stories. Nothing major consequences ha really happening. This is something of larger scale. Of a larger scale, in Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania. This is something of, of a, a, I guess, a feeling that I had that this was not, this it's almost feels detached from the other two. Even though you had Scott Lang trying to relate to his success in the Avengers movies, still, once the you-know-what hits the fan and, and, and that, you know, a, a discovery, an invention made by his daughter, Cassie Lang, causes him, you know, Janet Van Dyne, a.k.a. the Wasp, uh, the original Wasp. Then you have Hank Pym, uh, Cassie Lang, and then Hope Van Dyne. You have them all getting trapped in the quantum realm because of it. It just seems like there's so much larger stakes from the original two movies. It just seems like those two movies become detached from what everything this movie does. So let's get to the larger stakes as no. far as... Because yeah, it, it just stakes, feels detached from the other two films. It does. Me. It does. And they've, and they've espoused that and pushed that for a while now. They haven't mm -hmm. hit that. They put that out there before the trailers. They've said that this is going to be a different movie. This is actually going to be. They've said that. They've said it. It's, it's not only going to be the first film in Phase 5. It's actually utterly going to be a real consequential MCU film that's going to be important. Right? Mm -hmm. like, that's what they've said. They, different, they use a different term. Something, mm -hmm. more, something bigger than that. But basically they said... This is not going to be your usual Ant-Man film out of that. This is one that's actually going to be poignant. It's going to be important, right? In, in the in, in its place, right? In Phase 5, into Phase 6. Uh -huh. It's going to be instrumental, right? As a springboard, right? Uh -huh. And then also giving us a our first full version of an actual Kang the Conqueror variant, right? Yeah, well, you, you know. saw the, the original Kang, the He Who Remains in Loki Season 2. Uh, you also saw a sort of a businessman variant as well in the season of one. Uh, oh, Gerald, I'm telling you, Gerald, we could do a whole segment and show just talking about yeah, that just talk about Loki. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, we'll get to Loki here at the end of the show because we'll talk about the end credits on the back end of the show. But I want to talk right now as far as with the this version of Kang, and that's to be Jonathan Majors, who I think did a very powerful turn. As far as Kang, uh, I, whether or not ultimately he is more threatening, more menacing, better than Thanos as far as on the villain scale, we'll see what happens. Because remember, he's going to be playing a whole bunch of variants of Kang. In fact, he, you know, he kind of does later in the in the in the program, later in the film, as far as the after credit scene. But we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But right yeah. now. Kang is more emotional in general and, and more anger orientated than yes. He's, this this particular Kang gets exiled to the quantum realm, and he has a vendetta to burn against, as we find out later on, the Council of Kangs, which exiled him and banished him to this realm. And at first, he befriends uh, Janet Van Dyne, who it, they do a flashback of years ago 
where both of them, you know, they're they're both trapped in the quantum realm. They're, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer, aka Janavine Dimes. They come, they try to work together to try to find a way out. They come up with a way to, to get out of the quantum realm. And then she's and as soon as that happens, she realizes, oh my gosh, uh, through a uh, through a mental flashback, she actually sees what he does if he would or what he would do and what he did before when he was out of the quantum realm. So she stopped him from leaving the quantum realm. And ultimately she she got out, as you saw in the events of the previous Ant-Man. But her returning, she is such a dynamic figure. First off, your thoughts on Michelle Pfeiffer in this film as Janet Van Dyne. This dealt quite a bit with her character. She carried quite a bit of this movie. The 30 years she was down there in the quantum realm, she made her mark as far as leading rebellion, ultimately against that variant of Kang. Your thoughts on Michelle Pfeiffer in Ant-Man? Well, for one thing, the, the one film uh, and was never going to be enough to really be able to like really give us any kind of real impression or try to express to us what it must have been like to live down there for 30 years, right? Yeah. It's, you, you, there's no way to do it like that. It, uh -huh. There's no way. And uh, I had I, I just did the review tonight. I did. And one uh -huh. of the questions was one of my one of my pa guests on my panel said I would have I would love to have just known what it was like for her living down there in some kind of Disney Plus series where they showed us the decades yeah. as a freedom fighter and whatnot, right? Yeah. No, I mean, at the end of the day, the, look, that intro was very well done. Very, very, very good uh, writing, great intro, uh, great structuring. I'm not saying the whole film was well structured, but that's a great intro. That dichotomy of mm -hmm. the fact that she in, enters the quantum realm, right, mm -hmm. off that train on that mission for S.H.I.E.L.D., right, mm -hmm. with Hank, at the same time, exactly, that this Kang the Conqueror variant is literally exiled, right, mm -hmm. by the by the uh, the Council of Kangs, right, mm -hmm. at the end of the that the last Kang, you know, multiversal war, right, because yeah. he's that toxic, he's that dangerous, yeah, you know, like he's more unethical, he's beyond unethical, Kang unethical. So at that mm -hmm. point, he's there the same exact time, right, mm -hmm. and honestly. I don't think this, I don't think it's one of those deals where major. If you're with majors and you and you act with them, you're gold no matter what. I think Pfeiffer's scenes right there with majors, great pairing. That I would love to see. They, there's no way to do it. Really, the story wouldn't make any sense. But their pairing together, the little they did, even the nonverbal stuff, was mm -hmm. excellent. She's just a great actress. Yeah, she is. Yeah. And she got a chance to kick some butt in this film, uh, fighting yeah. against the yeah. troops of Kang and. And she did a great job, or at least the, her stunt double or whatnot, and how they perceived her. But, yeah, she did a great job in this film. She's one of the highlights of this film, I think, because, uh, you know, what she has been able to do in the previous films hasn't been a whole lot. So she got a chance to really shine in this film. Having the whole family together, seeing mm -hmm. how, they, they, how they, they all seem more positive and happier than they ever have in, the whole, in any of the films together as a family was mm -hmm. nice. It was warming. And it was cute how they all had their own dynamics, right? Okay. Each individual person, right? But I'll tell you, though, that they did a good job of putting us off guard to where a lot of stuff I thought things were going to go a certain way didn't go that way at all. It, it, at all. And at the same time, though, I just want to warn people, I went in there personally, not pessimistic at all, just thinking to myself, look, Jeff, they're not, the movie's not going to be as good as in trailers. It's that simple. You cannot sustain that type of build-up and, like, level of excitement and visuals across the span of two hours and 15 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. So just taking that into consideration before you go in. Temper yourself. And that's all I did. I, I would just advise people to do that. Just remember that the trailers are the trailers because they're exceptional. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? So let me get this straight. We're going to play, a like, a video game together? or Well, not exactly. Okay, fine. Where's the controller? Uh, that's it's it's right here. This is literally a sheet of paper. I don't understand what you here. You're gonna need these two dice. You just hand. Are these even dice? We are gonna play Vampire the Masquerade. It's a role-playing game. What kind of vampire do you want to be? 
Okay, now you're telling me there's more than one kind of vampire? Oh, my friend, you have no idea. There's Nosferatu, no there's Sp Vampires and Vitae, an actual play podcast, season two to Pop Culture Cosmos. Once again, it is Jeff Sloboda, the man of true knowledge. You got to go ahead and check out what he's doing today at the MCU's Bleeding Edge. Well, again, they all get trapped in the quantum realm. They get separated with Scott and Cassie getting stuck one area and Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne and Hope Van Dyne all getting uh, stuck on another end of the quantum realm. And you get to see the layers of the quantum realm. The quantum realm is ultimately a universe in and of itself. There's a whole bunch of uh, individuals. There's a civilization there, so to speak, as far as how uh, things are interacting. They interact with each other. But the fact is you find out slowly over the course of the film is that there's a movement, a resistance to try and, and stop Kang that is no longer. Now they're just basically a civilization that's trying to run and hide from the... The horror, Conqueror. Uh, the Conqueror. Yes, the Kang, the Conqueror. That's correct. Uh, as far as the horrors that Kang, the Conqueror, presented. So I will say that it did what it needed to do. It was very basic and rudimentary as far as storytelling is concerned. This is this movie is not going to shed new light or just no. it go through any new trails. This is uh, the type of storytelling you've seen before from movie making, from films, from Hollywood. And this is the type of movie making you've seen. It was very standard, very cookie cutter. I think it's probably the best way I could say it. But that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means you know in a lot of ways of what's coming next. So your thoughts, though, this and that's the case. And it has it's very samey, very something you've seen before. The way to still make it good is by the characters themselves and the actors and actresses themselves driving this film and i think if you are going to give it a positive grade it's because the actors that were in this film were such a great part as far as them interacting with each other to make this a good enough film to get on by well you know hey i think i think i think the end game curve grade is still it's still a bet that it is yeah mm -hmm. i don't know what it's going to end but i think it's still a little bit rubbing off still a little bit people still are some people holding out and still like expecting you know, uh, Shakespeare, Mozart, from film to film, right? Well, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm serious. There's still a little bit of that rubbing off on people still, I think. It's weaning, but you were right. You called it, Gerald. This thing is not going to blow you away, okay? One of my guests on the panel said tonight said positive things about the movie, but also said it's not the best one of the movies in the trilogy. It's not yeah. the best one. Uh, which, you know, that's not my uh, opinion. Yeah. I would have to agree with that. It's not the best one of mine either, but I will say though that it is still an acceptable movie. Uh, you know, again, the 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 story itself is very uh, cookie cutter, very basic. It is. Follow, it is. It does follow a lot of standard Hollywood tropes. But the thing is, though, when it comes to this quantum realm, these civilizations that have been uh, trying to live and survive under the auspices of Kang the Conqueror. They, they just need that push. They just need something to help get them over. And after Scott Lang and Cassie Lang get captured by Kang, and Kang is asking them to go ahead and, uh, well, actually Scott, to go ahead and reach in to down to the inner depths of the quantum realm to retrieve something he can't get, and that's the power source that will help power his exiled ship back into the availability of the multiverse that process itself that's something i think one of the highlights of the film is because because janet sabotaged it yes but also the fact is that you got to see paul rudd entertaining paul rudd uh, and many paul rudds because of a probability factor because as he gets closer to the power source the illusions and the tricks of the mind also seeing as far as a probability cause and you're seeing all the different probabilities of all the different scots and how they were, would or would not be able to retrieve this power source and thus he's interacting with all these probabilities that i thought it was kind of novel you saw a little bit of that in the trailer but it was played out obviously more carefully in the film your thoughts on this probability factor and scott lang aka paul rudd dealing with all these other Scott Langs and Paul Rudds in order to try to save his daughter from Kane the Conqueror and retrieving this power source. 
I thought that was just a, a wrinkle that they threw in the film. That's not really my, that isn't my cup, cup of tea. That's a natural aspect of like any type of multiversal situation is you're going to end up with paradoxes and situations where there's multiple people, uh, you know, used and stuff like that and whatnot. I get the point of it and whatnot and everything. It was, it was visually interesting. It really was. It was well, mm-hmm. it was fun too and cool to watch. Definitely some Doctor Strange multiverse of the madness type images. Mm-hmm. Same thing as when they came into the quantum realm. Same deal. I felt a very strong connection with possibly uh, Guardians of the Galaxy visuals, along with maybe some, you know, some Doctor Strange multiverse of the madness too. But essentially, yeah, remember too, it's important to explain that this bottom level of the quantum realm is all organic, right? Like everything mm-hmm. down there that's not Kang and not tech, right? And not, you know, powered by an energy source or whatever, which mm-hmm. we have no idea what the energy source even is. They never really explained that, but mm-hmm. it's there. Everything else is organic. Mm-hmm. The ships, everything is organic, right? So it's interesting. All Everything lives, you know, basically, which is neat. It's, it's an interesting contrast. That's what it is. It's a Star mm-hmm. Wars, you know, type contrast between Kang and his soulless minions that, you know, are just powered, uh, his army, and the fact that everything is built off tech, and, like, he 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 conquers through his tech from mm-hmm. the future, right? And mm-hmm. they're just all organic. So I'm just saying, you know, I mean, there is some sophistication, right? Yeah. But there's contrast like that. There's some interesting aspects to it. But mainly my thing is, is basically just the fact that overall... It was cookie cutter, but they delivered it well. It wasn't as complicated as they made it seem in the trailers at all, uh-huh. right? At all. But Jonathan Majors was great, and I think that I felt personally in the audience very much in a place where I could not tell whether or not Jonathan Majors in the beginning with Michelle Pfeiffer, for instance, meant it when he said to her he wanted her to go with him to see her daughter, right? Like, he seems like he has some principles in him. In some, in certain because, it, well, let me say this. When they were trapped in the quantum realm, both of them, especially in the early years, she had, she had confided in him. That's what she felt bad is because that she felt yeah. she lied to her daughter way back when. That, and he seemed that, moved. He did. Yes, and that, that she was uh, going to promise to be back, and she ultimately did not for 30 years because she got trapped in the quantum realm she felt like she she lied to her daughter in that in that case and kang uh, tried to you know maybe promise her that she was going to be able to to relive that time once again and be able to come home to her if she helped him get out of the quantum realm as well so i mean that's and even, the, and even after even after she detected the neural connection that he has mm-hmm. with with her with the, with his time traveling device yes. and saw all the horrible things he's done and the universes he's burned and the planets he's purged and whatnot and everything and, and is conquering and the timelines um, he's destroyed he still says to her i don't want to leave without you you i want you to see your daughter right now that the, this this dynamic happens another two or three times in the film uh-huh. it happens with with ant-man at the end it does yeah right and i it, it's interesting to me because uh-huh. the way majors plays it you can't tell if he's manipulating or if he genuinely actually has some type of Thanos in him where he has sort of a, in some way, in certain situations, he is actually does care about people. Or, mm-hmm. or at least he does care about his word. Mm-hmm. He and can be moved, yes. But, but ultimately, with uh, Ant-Man trying to negotiate getting the power source back and, and uh, in return for his daughter, Cassie Lang, he ultimately goes back on his word, which obviously you see at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just really something that you'll you'll talk about, I'm sure, for a while as far Kang as how that Kang always goes back up. on his word. He never he re- very rarely keeps his word with anybody. Exactly. And we're beginning to find that out really quite a bit. Uh, before we head to the halfway point in our conversation, my friend, I want to mention one thing, though, that Bill Murray actually uh, was uh, inquiring, I guess, from the stories told about getting involved in the MCU and uh, actually does play a small role, a cameo role in the movie as a uh, former confidant and former freedom fighter turn uh, turncoat that sided with Kang and, and, and was going to turn them in to Kang for capture, especially A.K. Janet Van Dyne is the one that 
that they really wanted that Kang really wanted because of what she did all those years back. But I really think at this point in time, Bill Murray's presence was not actually needed. His cameo was not needed. Same thing I Uh, said. Yep. It was just there. They don't really explain it well. I mean, he's human and nobody seems to know why he's human. That's there. Uh Yeah. They just got to really, he doesn't even know he's human. He doesn't even know he realized he's human because he questions like, Oh, human, human. Oh, that's what you're. But he said, and then when Michael Douglas, aka Hank Pym, calls him out and says, "You're human too," it just, it really just kind of throws everything off for a loop because everybody else in the quantum realm is a being of a different type, and and if he can't explain why he looks exactly like them, and has no explanation or forethought as far as why he got there in the first place, other than they was a freedom fighter at some point in time along with Janet Van Dyne. I think really just there was no need for it as far as him being personally in that movie. Well, I'll tell you what, folks. You have to understand so me and Gerald. We live very different lifestyles and whatnot and everything, right? And we're, we're different ages and we're, you know, we, we go about things differently. But I'll tell you right now, we must have some kind of like telepathic connection or something, right? From the quantum realm or whatever because he just drops like the same stuff I say on my shows and whatnot right after I do, right? And whatnot, we have like that vibe. Which is cool. I dig that. It's fun. It's nice to, you know, have funny, you know, it's why people like reaction videos, right? To see people see the same thing as you and like it, right? Mm. Or do it. Anyways, um, no, we have, we're of the same mind. Uh, we notice a lot of the same things. And you're right. Bill Murray was totally unnecessary, right? I mean, for about, I don't know, 13.75 seconds, there was a little bit of a Grandmaster from like Thor Ragnarok vibe with some yeah. cool, you know, like disco slash techno music for a minute and whatnot that was dope after that they could have just dropped them off of, off a building and it would have been fine and they could have gave more screen time to uh you know the, the soft guy but the guy about the care that wants to count your holes and all that overall at the, at the end of the day it's the first film in the phase five and what i'm really optimistic about for one thing folks remember again you can't dislike i mean when i go into these review shows i know that i'm going to feel differently about this film in a week i know that the Marvel, Mar- the Marvel Cinematic Universe is constantly evolving and changing. There's new information every day, right? Seriously. There's new connective tissue being built monthly. You know? Physical innovation comes out in, in a month and a half. You know, I mean, seriously. So at that point, you're starting to see in this film, right? And it's lining up. You're seeing it where you're going to have Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings tied into Miss Marvel with the bangle, right? You know what yep. I'm saying? That they got. The bangle. You're going to have Shang-Chi involved. Remember when Shang-Chi had the Ten Rings and he used them, he had that blue energy, right? The Mandarin had that yellow energy. That seems to be significant. Captain Marvel's energy is blue. Or Miss Marvel, I'm sorry, is blue. We're going to have the Marvels. That's going to tie into this. Loki Season 2, what we're going to talk about in a minute, is going to tie into this. It's all going to tie in. It's going to come together. And we're going to get back that connected tissue that we want. Right? And I think that's going to be a big kick in the butt for the fandom to get back in the game. Thanks for checking out the PCC. You know, the pop culture cosmos. We'll be back in one moment. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. People are just losing their minds trying to consume Marvel products right now, and I don't blame them. This is some of the best entertainment you can get on TV and big screen right now. If something's going to be successful or not, they look at the mentions, they look at the likes, they look at the retweets and the tweets and the subtweets and the tweet tweets, and they look at all of that to say, okay, this is actually going to garner a lot of attention. Is it going to be enough, though? I think the fish out of water syndrome might be enough for somebody like us, because it's going to be hilarious to watch two stoner kids we saw barely make it through high school now live in a society that they fully don't understand because they've been stuck in a decade and never came out of it. 
Facebook stars, not ninja stars, okay? I know how some people take things literally. So don't throw ninja stars at us, but like the Facebook stars. Click on those. That's what we want. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Catch our shows on Worldwide Radio seven days a week and wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, it is Jeff Sabota from the MCU's Bleeding Edge. Please go ahead and check out his YouTube channel, plus wherever you get your podcasts. It is the MCU's Bleeding Edge, where they cover not only a whole of great things with Marvel, but they also cover also great things like The Last of Us, The Lord of Rings, Rings of Power, and so much more. Go ahead and check it out today. It is the MCU's Bleeding Edge. There's a whole bunch of videos waiting for you to check out. But in our continued Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania spoiler cast, it does come to the point where Ant-Man does make the decision to help Kang initially get the power source that he needs. Kang has the power source then given to him. He betrays Ant-Man. Ant-Man is able to go ahead and get out of the situation because, like you said, Hope Van Dyne, a.k.a. the Wasp, saves him in the middle of this probability uh, cesspool of a whole bunch of different Scott Langs and all that calamity is able to go ahead and, and save him, has the power source, but it ultimately gets taken away and Kang betrays him. Towards the end of the, of the film? Yes, yes, yes. Well, yeah, and you know what? And that's the thing, too, is that um, I was going to just mention to you in the private chat that it's unfortunate that they didn't have more time for, um, for Hope and Scott and their relationships a little bit more. I think people forget that we have them there. We do have another Marvel couple, right? Mm-hmm. They're there, you know, and they, they're actually really cute together. I do. I like them. And they were great together in the film. They balanced it out at the end because there was hope again at the end that jumped in. I love the fact that they went hand to hand at the end of the film. Great yeah. contrast to the ending. You've got the whole movie. You've got lasers shooting at each other and whatnot. And, you know, Ant-Man going big and small. What Ant-Man, 700 of them. Kang ultimately gets the power source. Is yep. about ready to leave with this entire army. And uh, who shall stop him? Nobody's sure. But all of a sudden you see that Cassie Lang does get a chance to escape. She escapes with the leader of the rebellion. She signals a broadcast, uh, hijacks Kang's broadcast to the entire quantum realm about his designs, hijacks it, uses that as a source of, of just basically to signal to everyone that now is the time for rebellion, that signals the time for the rebellion, and as the rebellion starts, you mentioned Star Wars earlier. This has some eerie side, it does. similar uh, feelings. It's, it's as, slight. It's slight. Yeah. But that's why I'm saying it's very tropey. It's very, very similar to, as far as in the structure, the way it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's framed, the way it's written, the way it's perceived as far as uh, very similar to what it be. This would fit in a Star Wars realm. I'll just say that this story, because this story yes, yes. seems so Star Wars-ish by nature. But it gets to the point where there's a rebellion that starts. It starts to fail. Then all of a sudden, the ants shown at the beginning of yep. the film, somehow, while they're falling to the quantum realm, fall through a different part of the quantum realm that allows them to go ahead and evolve even more over thousands of years in the quantum realm have their own society and own civilization, advanced civilization, where technologically they're superior than uh, virtually anything in the quantum realm. They ultimately come and save the day. This is the part of the movie that I really think was ill-sighted. And just because it's relating to ants, you have to include them in there. But this is the part that really stretches your imagination and makes it hard to believe is that these, these, this whole ant society now can save the day uh, and does ultimately save the day uh, and defeats and overthrows King's army when it looks like the rebellion was going to be shot down. Your thoughts on this side story and relation because of the ant and because of the fact this is ants and because of the fact this Ant-Man and the whole nine yards being guided by their love for Hank Pym because Hank Pym helped connect with the group of ants, your thoughts on this whole side story and how it ultimately come t- came together to help win the rebellion against Kane the Conqueror. A lot of it just contradicts what, what I think a lot of people want from Ant-Man, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, I can tell you right now when we did our preview show for the mm-hmm. Ant-Man film and when I've done breakdowns on shows as a guest, 
talking about phase five and phase six, right? A lot of people want to see Ant-Man end up be walking away from this film as as a top tier Avenger. Not the leader, but like one of the you know, the varsity players, the big players of the Avengers. And they you walk- never get that. You never get that. But that's my point. They didn't allow it, right? They did not. You know what I'm saying? There was there were parts where if they would allowed him to, I mean let's be honest here, at one point in the film, folks, he literally gets bigger and and Cassie realizes she has that power too and does it for a small period of time herself when he really needs help the most. No, she, he's like, I mean, he's like a 20, 30 story building at that point. He's a yeah, but remember they have that hug while they're yeah, both. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They both get tall and they have a moment when they finally reconnect with each other after being separated, like we talked about earlier. And, uh, the fact and, none, is- and none of the time stuff had to do with him being pissed off or depressed about the fact that the blip and all that one, that had nothing yeah. to do with it. And right. that's a, that's one thing, you know, it, it, that's one thing I also want to get back to is that there, there's a reason of underlying hostility that she has, meaning Cassie Lang, for her father, saying that he wasn't there for birthdays and things of that nature. That's one thing that bothered me all that time, my friend, is that, okay, there's supposed to be this underlying, I guess, hosti- hostility between father and daughter. I guess, you know, he's... He's just sad because she is angry at him. The fact that the blip and he was trapped in the quantum realm. It's not his fault. If it was any father-daughter relationship that I know of, like let's say if it happened between myself and one of my daughters or both my daughters, they wouldn't be mad and holding hostility against me for something that I couldn't help or prevent. I think she's just at an age just like my daughter is, you know, she's 18 and a half. And I think that she's just rebellious in okay. general. Right. Well, that, that we saw as far as her protesting and getting caught in jail at the beginning of the movie. I get that. I get that. No, I mean, she's been in jail more times than I have, apparently, according to uh, Pim, Hank Pym. Yeah. Right. So, you know, but no, they could have elevated Ant-Man more. This was his yeah. trilogy. Right. Yeah. I love the Wasp. I do. I love I love the addition of the Wasp. I do. I, I think she's great. I think eventually Lily was a great casting. Hats up to Sarah Finn, as always. Marvel Studios is always able to obtain these excellent, excellent actors and actresses all the time. Because, you know, I'm telling you right now, at some point when they can't, it's going to change things a little bit. And, of course, it's not as epic as it is in the trailer. There's not as much build-up or all that and whatnot. Of course there isn't. It's still dope. It's still good. It looks good. Jonathan Majors got buffed. He got big. He put on some mass for for this role. He did. He looks big. And, honestly, if they would have fought it all the way out, I have no doubt that Kang would have just straight up knocked them out, probably. But at the end of the day, I was glad that they didn't have Cassie pop into that portal, right, and save Scott and help out to take Kang out, that it was the Wasp. It was Hope, right? It was great. It was great to see her come out of there like that and whatnot. From the trailer where she comes out of that sort of like in her, in her, you know, in her classic uniform from back in the day. Her first Avengers uniform. Because folks, you got to remember, Ant-Man and the Wasp started the Avengers in the comics. Well, she has the yellow and black, essentially, outfit from back in the day the Wasp wore. And she's the one that fights Ant-Man, helps Scott finish Kang. He's killed. He is dead, folks. Like, just to be clear, Peyton Reed already said flat out he's dead. He's not going to return. He's gone. For a minute, I I got I was worried. I didn't understand they were going to be able to go back home. I thought they were going to be trapped in the quantum realm, like Janet, for a minute. I did, but I thought that was great. That was the balance I needed, right? Was the fact that they had her come through like that, right? Because I like to see their relationship together. So I'll ask you this, my friend: When it comes to Ant Man and the Wasp, I mean, it's something we've enjoyed it's been a very cute couple cute movies Mm -hmm. uh under the radar there no no huge stakes per se comparatively speaking then they're asked to jump into the big time and when it comes to the movie itself again very cookie cutter very straightforward very holly you know they use a lot of hollywood tropes as i've said throughout this the show that i really think that it's not going to go down as the most memorable of Marvel movies, but it's not the worst movie either. It just know it it knew what it had to do. They wanted to maintain that whimsical feel. They did, yeah, and, and it did that, and it did that. But again, uh, you know, some things like the Bill Murray stuff and the stuff between as far as the father and daughter, the reason for their anxiety as far as her, you know, for towards her father, really, yeah, that kind of. Eh. And then of course the ants. We talked about it as an issue as well, but. 
ultimately they were able to go ahead and uh, find a way back through to uh, their our universe the mcu universe the one that you know the obviously their original home in san francisco the the van dynes and the langs they're able to all go and, and ultimately go back to their universe yeah before they do so they defeat kang kang gets sucked up by the actual power source who knows if he's actually dead or not he is well, they, they they say that but you know in comic books unless you see the body you don't know if he's actually dead or not in comic books but yes this this variant of kang is probably dead as was mentioned in the after credit scene, which again we'll discuss here in a minute. But that's let me the point ask of you Kang. This. That's the point of Kang of Kang, though, Gerald. They don't carry over. They don't have to. Well, they don't have to because there's a million of them. Yeah, I, I get that. I understand that. As we'll talk about here in a minute. But the thing I have is Jonathan Majors is probably the one of the main reasons why this film gets a positive rating for me because I thought he was outstanding through it. The thing I'm scared of at all is because we saw a little taste, a small taste of Jonathan Majors in other variants of Kang's at the end, which we'll talk about here in a second. When it comes to Kang the Conqueror in this film, he is no more, I, I don't think you can make him more menacing. You can make him more uh, threatening. You can make him more evil. You can make him more despicable than you can in this movie. I'm sure you can, and they're going to try in Marvel. But the thing is, Jonathan Majors gives an excellent performance. Are you scared like I am, or are you fearful like I am, that this could be the most powerful variant of Kang, but also the most entertaining? Could this be the most entertaining variant of Kang that we are seeing as far as uh, uh, you know this version of Kang that we now is most likely dead and we may never see again? Are we going to get less entertaining versions of Kang going there's, forward? There's this, there's weight. It depends. There's so many variables that that are incorporated in that. Gerald, do you know that? There's so many factors. Who do you line them up with? What actors and actresses? What what characters? Yeah. Right? What is the yeah. story? What is the dynamic? Right? Which Kang are we talking about? You know what I'm saying? Like you know, what type of variant of Kang is it? Okay. What mm -hmm. movie is it? Right? Which film is yeah. it? Who, who's who's the lead? Is it is it Kang Dynasty? Right? I mean, there's so many variables, okay? There's no question what Jonathan Major's acting ability is, right? And his range. What he did to change from He Who Remains to this Kang is very clear and distinct. This is a great performance by Jonathan yeah. Majors. But from what we've seen with the other Kangs that are there, I mean, there's, we're only seeing just a, you know, just a small sample of some of the Kangs as far as that interacting. Well, we're going to get a lot of Kang. This is going to go into the Kang multiversal war. Could this be the most entertaining version of Kang? And if it is the most no. entertaining version of Kang that we see, that doesn't bode well for the rest of this phase. I think it depends on the fandom and the fan. People might like the Scarlet Centurion because probably when we see him, there'll be more action. You'll see more action, more hand-to-hand -hand combat, more fighting, more big battles, right? Mm -hmm. Then, of course, you know, with Immortus, you know Immortus is not going to be about battles, mm -hmm. right? He's going to be about strategy, time. Right, uh, the TVA, yeah. and then of course on, on top of that, you got Ramatut. Now, what they're gonna do with Ramatut, I have no idea. Who knows? But they got Ramatut in there. He's based off the original Kang from the comics. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're in the Las Vegas and Henderson areas and are looking to buy, sell, or trade the best in classic or current video games and pop culture collectibles, there's no better place to go than Retro City Games. From Xbox to PlayStation, Nintendo to Atari, the great crew at Retro City Games provides the best place to go for all your gaming options. Stop by their two awesome locations in Henderson and also the Las Vegas Strip, or follow Retro City Games on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest deals and new items. Without a doubt, there's no better place to go for your gaming needs than your friends at Retro City Games. But before we get to our overall thoughts, and then after that, finishing off with the after credit scenes, I want to go ahead and touch on one major character. Well, it was actually eh, a side character per se, but it had some moments. And that is the returning Darren Cross Ugh. playing the role of Modoc. Darren Cross is the evil 
scientist from the first Ant-Man film that ultimately gets defeated by Ant-Man and gets shrunk into the quantum realm himself. But when he gets trapped in the quantum realm, he is disfigured and disformed and then is reassembled by King the Conqueror as MODOK, as far as the, the killing mutated machine that uh, is not, at his He's dinner. not MODOK. If, you're, if, you, if you've ever read any comic book with MODOK in it, folks, he's not MODOK. So, so well, I'll get to yours in a second. In the first part of the film, this is, the, again, a traditional trope that you've seen before in many films where these side characters that, uh, you know, were once uh, something else, they get changed into something else. They're meant to be a killing machine and do some bad things, but by the end of the movie get turned and ultimately turn on their own boss, per se, and this time Modoc ultimately turns on Kang but in the process loses his life. So I want to hear your thoughts. Did you, it sounds like you did not like it. I all think, this, I, th- this I think folks, this, this is how Gerald expresses his bleeding edge style right here. Right at the end, okay. he has to throw the stupid Modoc from the villain. Well, I had to mention not. it because I know if I, if I don't mention Modoc in this, you know, as far as conversation, I know that. Called, I know I'm going to get called out. Okay. Look, I like Modoc. All right. I, I think it's interesting. It is interesting at least how they ended up making it work. Right. I, yeah. I like it. So well, I bet you they, they've been thinking for a while, how can we fit MODOK in the MCU? No, 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 that wasn't it. They, yeah. He's filler. He's half filler, half fan service. That's why he's in there. They yeah. needed a way, right, for to Kang, for Kang yeah. to know that he needed the pin particle. Okay? Mm-hmm. And yeah. down there. That's what it was about. And so at that point, what could they do? What was there? What were their options? Well, hey, Darren Cross, he wasn't, didn't die in Ant-Man 1. He, he eviscerated into the quantum realm. There yeah. you go. Now you make, make him into MODOK. Look, they just did a, an animated MODOK sh- show a year and a half ago on Hulu. Yeah. Come on now. They didn't plan on... If, if they were really going to do MODOK, they could have made MODOK into a character that would have existed in the MCU for a couple of years. And they could have threw him in here, you know, here and there just for small roles as a side villain. But you said this is clearly fan service to you. It's fan service slash filler. They, they needed that connective tissue. They needed a reason. The quantum mm-hmm. realm is isolated, right? Mm-hmm. So at that yeah. point, he uh, Kang has no way to actually know what the hell's going on on Earth, right? Yeah. He doesn't even know it exists until Cross comes down. Yeah. So at that point, basically, they, they needed that cop. What else is there, right? I mean, yeah. you know, maybe they could have done something with Cassie where, where she was manipulated by somebody or whatever, right? That's why she got arrested. That was one of the theories on one of the shows one time. Yeah. I, I, I bought that a little bit. She's getting arrested because some nefarious figure that somehow is associated with Kang on the outside world he can talk to manipulated her and, and you know into creating that device, right? Yeah. And that's how they they got him down there, right? Why yeah. Mordok was in there, I had no idea. I was like, what the hell? Why is Mordok in the quantum realm? But either way, no, no, it's good fan service. It is, and you know what? At the end of the day, we got to keep the comic book accurate, folks. They get all pissed off about everything all the time. Happy once in a while, we do. Once again, it is Jeff Sabota, the man of true knowledge. You got to go ahead and catch him today at the MCU's Bleeding Edge. But before we head on out, my friend, and before we cover the post credit scenes in a little bit more detail, your final thoughts, give your overall review of what everybody should know about Ant-Man on the Lost Quantumania. I think everyone should just take into consideration at the end of the day that it took 10 years to get to Endgame, okay? Take a break and remember that Kevin Feige knows what he's doing, right? And he doesn't seem like he's worried, okay? So, at the end of the day, this is not going to run out of money, right? They're figuring out real quick, quickly that they're better off letting Marvel Studios and Kevin Feige control more of this stuff with the storytelling and whatnot and all that, and then they're them getting involved with it. Ant-Man is, 3 is not going to be the film that starts Phase 5 off and, like, reignites the MCU or whatever. It's not going to do it for you. I'm sorry, as a fan. I walked around in my theater to the five people that were in the theater, right, after during the credits, and I asked all of them individually, because I'm so personable, right, and walked right up to them and whatnot, and I've been talking to them during the, during the credits anyway. I, you know, I asked them, all of them. I, I, I was like, look, I, I, I'm at the MCU's bleeding edge. I just want to know, did you like the film or not? Did it, did it work for you or not? Four out of five did not like it. They didn't. I liked it. I did. I enjoyed it. 
right? I give it a pass, I, but I don't give it a strong pass. Uh, I think that the movie itself uses, again, a lot of Hollywood tropes. It is very cookie cutter. I'm going to say that several times during this this uh, this actual show because the fact is that it is. It follows a lot of formulas which you've already seen on hundreds of other movies already probably in your lifetime. It, is, it gives you nothing different as far as that realm. Why well, is but, a different kind of metro, Gerald? If my yeah. date falls asleep during the movie, that's, you know what I'm saying? That's not good, right? My date was awake during the whole Ant-Man movie. In The Eternals, my date fell asleep for like 40 minutes. But this one, I guess... It does what it needs to do to get by. Certainly not at the top of the MCU. I wouldn't put it at the bottom of the MCU, but it doesn't really, for me, going to be something I'm going to remember for a while other than the performance of Jonathan Majors. The Ant-Man and the Wasp are characters that are much beloved internally more than externally by Marvel, more than as fans or more than the general audience at large. This will be probably the most successful of the Ant-Man movies, monetary wise, because I think the fans are eager to find out exactly what's going to go on with the start of phase five here. But ultimately, I think that this will probably be uh, a movie that not people have high on their lists simply because of the fact that, again, it's a movie that surprises no one in what it does and how it goes about it. Well, at the end of the day, until Marvel Studios reestablishes that solid, consistent connective tissue to the level, to a degree where the, the people in the fandom, to some extent, feel like they have to go see the films, right? They have mm-hmm. to, right? To know what the hell's going on it, overall mm-hmm. with the overall story, right? You yeah. know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that that's a panacea and that has to happen. I'm just saying that connective tissue was very much um, weakened Okay, once the Disney Plus series came out in phase, yeah. in phase four, it was. And um, a lot of guests on my shows were disappointed with that uh, with that that deal during phase four. That was their biggest complaint. The lack yeah. of connective tissue between the, the, the properties was not there. They yeah. felt disconnected from it. They did. Yeah. At the end of the day, look, we're going to have a good year. All right? Secret of Age is going to be good. Okay? I think What If Season 2 is going to be good. We know now what we're going to get this year, basically. Loki season two is going to be great. We know that. We haven't even talked about the you know the end credit scene where we actually see the Kang variant that will be in Loki season two and run the TVA. So let's get into the uh, end credits right now, my friend. The end credit scenes, there are two of them. The first is that you get introduced, like we've talked about and hinted throughout the show, the different Kang variants that are there in the Council of Kangs, or they might just call them the Dynasty of Kangs. I think that they were referred to, but... In the comics, we know them as the Council of Kings. They're all gathered together. Uh, they hear or, uh, I guess, find out about the death of the King, the Conqueror, in this movie. So it is apparently that he's dead. Although, again, in Marvel, if you don't see the body, you never quite 100% know. But they, they announce that he's dead in the film. And that leads the Council of Kings to come together to start getting together or gearing together to go ahead and create some sort of action against uh, the individuals involved or or the universe involved as far as creating this type of scenario where Kane the Conqueror, even though he's exiled, he was still, it was still knowledgeable that they killed him. So in the fact that, that they killed him brought to their attention the fact that, okay, there's a universe out there that that was able to kill a king. We need to take notice. He might have been an exiled king, but we need to take notice now of the universe that that killed King the Conqueror. King the Conqueror can be a really, really outstanding villain. He could be, be he mm-hmm. could be better than Thanos. He could be. He could be. Could be. He's deep. We'll see. Again, uh, I'm just worried again if this is going to be the most entertaining version of Kang the Conqueror that I'll see going forward. But I'm going to give it an open thought, keep my mind open, see what happens there. But before we head on out, the final end credit scene is a return to the past where we see a timeline where a version of Kang, I'd say late 1800s, is actually speaking to a crowd. And who's there in the crowd? None other than Loki and Morbius. So your thoughts on this, my friend, this is, could be a scene straight out of Loki season two. We might see this being played out again in Loki season two. Your thoughts on, uh, you know, I guess the pursuit 
in this change timeline in Loki and how it correlates to what we're seeing in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Well, I think it was good. I think it was a good, uh, uh, I like, I like the, the decision to go in that direction. Um, mm-hmm. That's Victor Timely, right? Now, I don't know yes. a lot about Victor Timely. I don't. I won't lie to you. But yeah, this name, version of Kang is Victor Timely. Yes, he does. They're not like on an actual case like for the TVA because in Loki season two, Loki will work for Kang during the season. He will. He'll work. Kang will run the TVA. This Kang will run mm-hmm. it. I think essentially what's going on right there has something to do with probably the point where you're going to see Loki convince Mobius, right? That everything he told them in the finale about how he's from another TVA, from another universe or whatever and whatnot, with a different Mobius and a different 100B5 and all that, right? And we better get ready because there's going to be a war of these Kangs coming, right? Eventually, he's going to convince Mobius that. We know that. We've seen set photos and whatnot, right? Mobius is going to buy it. Mm. Well, at some point, I think they're going to stray and just start to go off on their own, kind of. Or they're doing some type of investigative stuff. Honestly, this could actually be be this Kang variant searching for Sylvie through time because that's what she yeah. is. She's hiding in time, right? Where does Ravonna Renslayer play into things right now? Which Kang is going to be the one that has a relationship with her? She ain't going nowhere. I don't see her. She's going to be in the MCU for a while. But either way, bottom line, I think it's a great tie-in. Again, Gerald, it's extensive tissue we want, right? Yes. Right? It's right now, us to Loki season two. There you go. That's what you want. Tying in this multiverse all together, that it does. It is the MCU. Hopefully getting off mm-hmm. to a decent start here in phase five. Again, for the movie, I thought it was okay. Jeff seemed to like it too. So if you have thoughts on ant-man and the wasp quantumania please go ahead and let us know popculturecosmos at yahoo.com but jeff great having you here please everyone go ahead and give some love to the mcu's bleeding edge wherever you get your podcast and of course please go ahead and subscribe to them for the latest updates that they have at least twice three times a week how many shows you do a week two three times Listen, I, I'm, the I'm, notifications. Let me let me be realistic here. You're you're very uh, you're very kind, Gerald. Yes, I pull we pull off three. I pull I I we it because my my co Cybernet Shark is the best in the world, but he mm-hmm. doesn't really do much other than record with me. Other than that, it's all on me. So we're making some big moves. But yeah, mm-hmm. we're doing three. We do three full live stream shows a week, live stream discussional shows that are between an hour and a half to three hours long. We just did one that was five hours the other night. One of me and one of my best friends from the Blackley Collective Podcast up in South Carolina. It's our 10K special, even though we're already past 12 now, because that's how fast our growth has been. We wanted to rock it out. That's our they set our record up. The the record before was one of my friends from the Podcast of Champions that's from Australia. Biz. Right? I never get to record with him. So what I do, it's like we're friends. It's our it's our chance to, to like kind of use our, you know, the show is our you know, a way to exercise our friendship personally like you know in person kind of yeah so we we lied for like almost four hours and i basically all we really talked about was like band made and mcu right we're doing last of us on wednesdays we got four more episodes to go 9 35 p.m eastern to survive p.m pacific we're doing the DC, we're doing the dc animated films now gerald i think i told you mm-hmm. we're doing them in chronological order but we're not doing them consistently we're doing them on fridays on and off the Mandalorian season three comes out in two weeks, yep. right? That's correct. That's right. So we're going to be switching probably the last of us over. And our main Wednesday show, we'll go over to the Mandalorian, right? And then as soon as Secret Invasion pops up, we'll call it, we'll pick that up because we cover all Marvel Disney Plus shows. Right now on Sundays, we're doing phase five and phase six previews for the MCU. I'm probably going to have to add a fourth show, Gerald, to be honest with you, because it's getting to a point where we don't have time to cover Marvel anymore. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of great things going on. Please yeah. check out the MCU's Bleeding Edge today on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, Gerald. I appreciate it, Jeff. Man, just a great time talking about the Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. It's our spoiler cast. Truly appreciate you stopping by. Looking forward to some more great conversations between you and I. Any last thoughts before we head on out? No, just again, I'm just very appreciative. Um, I'm very humbled and I'm very thankful, Gerald. I appreciate coming on with you, man. You're a good friend. I, I genuinely have a great time recording with you and whatnot. It's very nice of you to allow me to have an opportunity to market and talk about the bleeding edge and whatnot to your audience. 
folks have a great 2023 and enjoy the mcu this year all right be positive <laughs> always great to have you here my friend looking forward to future conversations on marvel right here in the pop culture cosmos Listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.